0: Tonight we'll continue our study in the Gospel according to John. Last week I taught the events surrounding Jesus' healing of the nobleman's son. And when the clock told 7.45 or thereabouts, we were in the middle of analyzing Jesus' healing of the man from Bethesda by way of the doctrine of healing. So we're going to do some review and then we're going to pick up where we left off last week on page 4. So let's use first John one nine as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and study your word. Guide us now and direct us, for I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, let's look at the NIV then of John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to read through verse 9. And then we're going to go into verse 16 and 17 of John 5. So here we go. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And we talked a little bit about colonnades there. And you can see where it's located in our map of Jerusalem's old city. Alright, then verse 3. Here a great number of disabled people at one time used to lie in and the, uh, they would bring the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, those who were sick and Remember the first one in the water, when the angel troubled the water, that person got healed. And that was not just a practice at that pool in Bethesda, but rather it was a practice in many, many, many bodies of water all over the old country. The whole area. So we're told historically. So I surmise that that's the devil working. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So I guess you have to tie that into the fact that there he was waiting for the angel to stir the water and then he would get in there and he would be healed and Jesus said, Come on, do you really want to get healed? In other words, he has the way. Now the problem was, Jesus was doing things on the Sabbath, verse 16 and 17. Jesus said to them, as they accused Him. My Father is always at His work to this very day, and I too am working. Now let's come on and go back to where we were when we talked about divine healing, at least in part, just to get a lesson or two from point two, divine healing. The Bible teaches that human beings may look to God for direct healing. Divine healing is a subject over which many differences of opinion have existed from early in the history of the Christian church. In proclaiming, I am the Lord your healer, God promised the Israelites that in consequence of their obedience, He would put upon them none of the diseases of the Egyptians. And we saw that in Exodus 15.26. Then in Psalm 41.3, David testified regarding the God-fearing man and then the psalmist in 30 repeatedly thanked God for His healing. So we noted that in Psalm 41.3 that the God-fearing man may very well expect and get healing. And then the psalmist in Psalm 30 thanked God for His healing. So there's a connection. All right, obedience to God's Word can result in healing and health as we noted in Proverbs 4, 20, 21 and 22. So some of the healings recorded in the Bible were with means, as in the case of Hezekiah. And Remember we talked about that. He prayed and got covered with a postage fig and he got healed. And of course, Saul got healed uh, in the case of his healing. It seemed to be a psychosomatic problem. Then we also notice uh, wine was a means in the case of Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. All right, certainly the Bible is not opposed to the use of means for healing since Christ himself considered it normal for people to go to a doctor. And we looked at Matthew 9.12. Now in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus states that oil and wine report on the wounds of the beaten traveler. All right, there's also a class of healing in which certain additive factors have a part. Though many are not of themselves actually therapeutic, but rather symbolic of deeper meaning. For example, in the healing of Naaman, the Syrian general with leprosy, and of course, the blind man from Bethsaida. So in each of those cases, it was uniquely. You remember excremento? We looked at in the Latin... And we also looked at Naaman. who There was plenty of water there in Israel, but this really offended the Israelis, by the way, when he told the Syrian general to go over there in that Arab land and get in that dirty water. And he did, and he got healed. Why? Uh, I think Jesus was putting several people in their place, especially in the case of the Syrian general, because a lot of people criticized Jesus for that. Alright, many false concepts about healing have developed. For example, when a person seeks healing from God, some conclude he is making a choice. Well, that's between God and the doctor. You should have gone to, the, the, to God rather than the doctor. Well, that's the way the Christian scientist thinks. And we had a little story about that. I'll pass by. Pass on it. Alright, Asa is just such an example. In 2 Chronicles 16.12, the word in the NIV translated physicians could better be rendered a pagan sorcerer. And that pretty well cures that parent problem in 2 Chronicles. Some believe that the physical healing is as much a part of the salvation that Christ purchased as is the forgiveness of sin. And certainly I disagree, and that most evangelicals disagree. However, such an exegesis is. An analysis has been made and done. Now only one other place in the New Testament is there any suggestion of healing in the atonement. Peter in 1 Peter 2.24 connects by whose stripes you were healed with Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, but there is no explicit mention of physical sickness and most would agree 1 Peter 2.24 is used metaphorically. Alright, there are also those who contend healing was a first installment of the resurrection promised by our mortal bodies through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Using Romans 8.11 as basis. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. But again, yours truly and most evangelicals believe the reference to life to your mortal bodies refers to temporal sanctification. So there are those who contend that sickness is always the result of sin. Again, the Christian scientist review a view advocated by Christian scientists. While it is true that many sicknesses are a punishment set by God for sin... For example, the plagues which struck Israel when they rebelled against God in their wilderness journey, particularly when they rebelled against their authority. They had several evidences of that, as you'll remember. And then there was Balaam the prophet and Balak the Moab king who conspired to defeat Israel by conniving against God. And God did intervene and did not permit the plan of the prophet which was, you know, to God, oh man, God's going to punish them if they go down there and do bad things with those Moabite women. But it turns out God is a God of grace. And that's what we watch for and look for and hope for. The grace of God. Alright, there are still other sicknesses which are used uniquely for His glory as we saw in John 9, 1-3. Then there are sicknesses directly used for the good of the sufferer. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-8. Certainly, Paul suffered to make him a better man. And we studied that in detail. Alright, causes of sickness. We notice suffering in general is the consequence of the curse that came upon man after the fall. And certainly in this sense, all sickness stems from man's First, sin, though it does not follow, that an individual's personal sickness is due to his own personal sin. That once more is a Christian scientist belief. And uh, sometimes, you know, we may be getting some sort of result because of personal sin, the part of discipline on the Lord, because He does. Hebrews 12.6 From time to time, For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. So I always say when your bad things are happening to you, that's the first thing you think for. Or should maybe. Am I doing something wrong? But chances are you, you may not be. It may be a trial. And uh, God knows what He's doing. And that's why we have to think like that when we're in the midst of unusual circumstances as we seem to be from time to time in this country of ours. So prior to the fall, man had a means of maintaining health and longevity by eating from the tree of life. And of course, when they fell, they had, God had to get them out of the garden. But there is a similar tree to that in the millennium in Genesis 2, 9 and three twenty three, where we have it mentioned. And also we had noted about the tree in Ezekiel forty-seven, twelve, and Revelation 22, 1 through 2. And I think that's about the time we stopped close to it. I think we actually got down to the Uzziah situation. But there are many cases where sickness is caused by man's ignorance and also by his own carelessness, certainly as in the spread of venereal disease or chronic illnesses that do result from such things as alcoholism. AIDS etc. but again we must always remember God is sovereign and often there are exceptions. Sickness may be sent by God as punishment for example King Uzziah's sin and I'll read that again for you we hadn't gotten I don't think we got completely through there but let's take a look beginning in second chronicles first verse 16 then we'll drop down to 18 and then 19. but after Uzziah became powerful, His pride, first thing God hates, proud look, led to his downfall. He is unfaithful to the Lord and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And that was only to be done by the priest. And he was to carry it in the Holy of Holies one time a year. All right, and it was to be made to a special recipe and done by a priest, not a layman. Second Chronicles 26.18 They, the priests, confronted him and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. So Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar and leprosy broke out, broke out on his forehead. So there's probably a principle there. If you want to teach the Bible, you ought to be a preacher. If you're going to be a preacher, you need to get the calling. And if you got the calling, meaning you've been designated such by some church body, then you prepare and then go teach. And then one preacher, famous preacher said, if you gentlemen are going to be preachers, i tell you one thing. Go to Dallas Theological and learn the Bible and then go become a Baptist so you can eat. <laughs> and I thought, I can't remember that guy's name, but the California guy that had cancer, the white hair, and I've got several of his tapes. What is it, darling? Farmer. Was it Farmer? Farmer? No, I can't hear you. Okay. Mm-hmm. I cannot remember his name. He's a great pastor, really great pastor. But that he said that one day, and I was astounded how astute and yet uh, not necessarily totally right. All right, Christ commanded one of the ill men whom he healed at the pool of Bethesda. Behold, thou art made whole; sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. John five fourteen. And they some have said, you know, well, how uncaring, <laughs> and yet. It's our Lord speaking. He's giving him good advice. Alright, sickness may work as a chastisement for the development of character. That an illness or accident might be used to train and develop the child of God. No doubt that cannot be ignored. It is one whom the Lord loveth that God chasteneth. Hebrews 12.6 which I provided there for you and often quote. So the believer is to count it all blessing when he enters into various trials and testings, which may include sickness. Because if he bears them patiently, they produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Difficult to do, no doubt, when you're amidst, when you're in, in the middle of cleaning out the swamp, when the alligators are nipping at you. But notice James one, two, and three, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. All right, Job was brought to recognize his pride and self righteous attitude through his afflictions and represented excuse me, repented in dust and ashes. Job, you know, was a good man. We wonder sometimes (coughs) what was his lesson, and yet the lesson becomes really apparent when you get to, I'm thinking about the 30th chapter, but anyway, he questioned God. And God said, you're not to even question me. I don't want anybody questioning me. And then he said, were you there when? I taught the alligator how to crawl along the bank and find its food. When I taught the bird how to fly here and find its food and the squirrel over here to find its food, I taught the moon how to stay right where it is and not move on certain occasions. And the stars, when they sang together, and he goes on and on and on and on with some of the most early scientific discoveries found that the stars can sing. And they do sing. And scientists transfer the light beams into musical notes. And they sang a beautiful song And it's just full of grandiose and wonderful things. But he says, if you were there when I did all that, you know, I taught the ocean how to go out and the ocean how to come in and the sand how to flow and land here and land there. Now, if you were there when I did all of that, he went on and on and on like rubbing his nose in it, you know. Then you can question me. And that's a good lesson for us to learn. Maybe not thee, but me. It's God's business. All right, Job was brought to recognize his pride and self-righteous attitude through his afflictions. And so he finally repented in dust and ashes. And what happened? God blessed him. All right, Paul, as we have seen, saw his thorn in the flesh as something used to buffet him. He saw in it something God used to keep him humble also. Now, Job got double the good things in his life. Multiple. But we find no evidence of Paul ever getting that, so we shouldn't just say, you know, oh, God's punishing me, so I know he's going to make me rich. (laughs) I know he's going to give me this, you know. No, not necessarily. Paul's. Paul said, you know, you you designated a special devil to beat me about the head and shoulders everywhere I went. And I want it removed first. Then he said, secondly, I want it removed. And then he said, thirdly, I want it removed. And all three times, God said no. And then he told him why. Because you're a better man for it. Because why? Paul concluded... And therefore, I conclude that God concluded because Paul wrote it down. He said, because I had so much Bible doctrine in my soul, I had just been given so much out there in Saudi Arabia. So 2 Corinthians 12.10, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And I would refer you to the doctrine of suffering which we have on the internet. gives you all the reasons why people suffer. Scriptural reasons based upon an analysis of the Scripture. So the fact that sickness may be used of God to develop character, faith, and humility in His own children makes it impossible to conclude that it is always the immediate result of sin. Jesus not only healed the sick, but also He forgave them their sins as with the paralytic who was let down through the roof. Quite an astounding situation. Some men brought to Him the paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. And you remember how they got Him him down. You know what? I laugh about that every time I read that story. When I think about those roofs, you know, those thatch roofs, if you will, with dirt and branches and everything, and Jesus up there teaching, all of a sudden, dirt starts to fall, you know, and then these characters opening up the top and dropping this down in there, guy down in there, and he finally got to get up, take his mat with him, and get out of there. But he got healed is the point. And he did it again and forgave them their sins as with the paralytic many people often on. So some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat, says Matthew 9.2. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. So He connects the two there. But you can't put Jesus in a jar and watch Him because you think he's going to do something this way or that way. He does whatever he wants to do when he wants to do it. So this in itself did not prove that man's sickness was due to his sin or that the cures for sin and sickness are both on the cross or in the cross, but that Christ was exercising his own prerogative as God man. It's like our prayer tonight. He does what he wants to do, he's the God man. Christ. And remember, I misquoted by the way, is a scripture, very often I do, but particularly, uh, we know in our doctrine of prayer, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, it tells us how the prayer works. We set up prayers tonight putting it in you at the bank where you put it in the vacuum tube. There she goes. And on the way, it stops somewhere in that tube. And God the Holy Spirit who already told us we don't know about what to pray for, He changes it. And then Christ takes the tube over and takes it right on up to the Father and the Father implements a perfect plan. Now that's... Grace. And that's why you can say the next verse, which is again eight Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God to them who are the called according to His His purpose, not ours. So you have to take 26, 27, and 28 in a row. And then all you know is you call it out. And that's why we can call out our enemies, we can call out the ones we happen to agree with. And all of them are going to get the same thing, a perfect prayer. Alright, this in itself did not prove the man's sickness was due to his sin, that is Matthew chapter 9 verse 2, or that the cures for sin and sickness are both in the cross, but that Christ was exercising his own prerogatives as the God man. So though Paul healed many while he himself was not delivered, how about that? Acts 19.11, God did extraordinary miracle through Paul. So even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. We used to listen in Waco, we used to listen to a radio station where some guy down there on the border, we would hear him asking us asking anybody out there in radio land, send him your apron, send him your, your handkerchief, and he would get it and pray for it. And I don't know who it was. I think it was Benny Hinn. Or somebody got exposed exposed on a television show, one of the magazine shows, when they showed people would send him carloads of stuff. And they had it stacked up in front of him in boxes about three foot high and maybe six foot wide. And eight foot across, and he would pray over it. And, uh, and tell everybody, you know, you send it to him, he'll personally pray over it. And that's what he was doing. So, there are all sorts of people in this world, but God knows that. And our job is to leave them alone. You know, leave them alone. So all of His, the Lord's miracles, confirmed His person as well as His power. Luke 4.14, verse 15, verse 16, 17, 18, and 19. And I shall read. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about Him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogue. And everyone praised Him. He went to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was His custom. And He stood up and read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Him. Unrolling it, He found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon Me. That is Christ. This, this is Isaiah. He's reading in Isaiah. So in the Old Testament, the words of Moses were used to document Jesus. As well as, of course, the words of the prophet. As well as the words of Jesus Himself. As well as His representatives and apostles. and Delegated apostles. Real uh, apostles. Delegated apostles. Preachers today, etc. And Jesus said of this. Jesus said of Himself, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in Matthew 11, 2, 3, 4, and 5, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples. And they were to ask Jesus, Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Just go back and tell John, what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And I can only assume that that satisfied him. But, you know, you lose heart sometimes when things get tough. And you get the bad mental attitude. And that's what happened to John the Baptist. He didn't know. He's baptized Jesus. The Spirit of God spoke when he did baptize Jesus. Holy Spirit came like as a dove on him when he baptized Jesus. And he had been told, this will happen when you baptize Jesus. But when he got into trouble, and he was going to get his head chopped off because of that woman, well, two women actually, he got to worry about, is He really the Messiah? So I'm assuming that that satisfied Him just that little bit as the disciples told Him, here's what Jesus is doing. Alright, then Matthew 15, 30 and 31, great crowds came to Him bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others and laid them at His feet and He healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Alright, the gifts of healing of the disciples in the early church were similar to the extent that the miracles proved these men were true followers of Christ and thus corroborated them in their ministry. We sometimes lose sight of that. That's why the disciples and the apostles performed miracles because the church needed a jump start. And they could see in with their eyes these wonderful miracles. So their work documented their their miracles documented their work, just as Jesus' miracles documented his work. And that answers the question when people ask, Well if Jesus could heal people just by talking to them and looking at them and doing various things, you know, like sending them off to go get in a pool of water in an Arab land. Why didn't he do everybody that way? Because he didn't come to do that. That's what the devil would have him to have done in the desert, for example, when he tempted him up on the mountain. Jump off. That'll draw you a crowd. So he did those things in order to document the fact he was the Son of God. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Son of God. So the gifts of healing then of the disciples of the early church were similar. They proved that these men were true followers. Let me read you 1 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. To the one there is given the Spirit through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge. By means of the same Spirit to another faith. By the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. But not all to the same. Various people had various gifts. And notice again down in verse 28 and 29 of that First Corinthians 12. And in the church, God had appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues Are all prophets, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? No. They all have different gifts of healing. Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts and now I will show you the more excellent way. And that is to say, the intake of the Word of God under the filling of the Spirit is the more excellent way. Because those temporary gifts will pass away, says the Scripture, when the Scripture is written and disseminated then there will be no need for the gifts. And I refer you to the gift of tongues where it's clearly documented not only in my lesson, but on Colonel R.B. Thiem's lesson on tongues, but also an excellent book written by Merle F. Unger entitled Tongues. Wonderful book. I know Merle F. Unger really does well because he introduces the book Who Speaks in tongues? Many Wonderful Christians. And then he proceeds to show you how the gift has gone away. Scripturally speaking. Documenting it with Scripture. F. Unger. Great Bible teacher. Philip's miracles at Samaria, the healing of the lame beggar at the temple gate and of the cripple at Lystra opened up doors of opportunity to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Acts 8, 6, 7, and 8. When the crowds heard Philip in Samaria and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Alright, you remember that story. They sent some people over there to document Philips work particularly Peter and John and uh, that's when he ran into the the guy who wanted to buy the gift he wanted to do those kinds of things he could draw a crowd that way and make some money he was a believer when he did that so they had to tell him about how the Holy Spirit, it's not for sale. But I've told you that story most recently at this hour. So let's go on. Acts 3.1 One day Peter and John were going to the temple another time at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple. The beautiful gate of the temple where he was put every day to beg for those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold do I not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, taking him by the hand, right hand, He helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles made strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them in the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God. Wow! Don't you know he was one happy character. Running through the temple, jumping up and down. He was just so typical. I remember I had a particular engineer who was crippled. And I remember thinking all the while, I remember one time he was late for his airplane. His, his secretary said, Jim, Jim, Jim Sylvester. You remember him telling me, Jim, hurry up. You're going to miss your plane. You're going to have to hurry. You're going to have to move faster. And he said, forget her name now. Do you realize I'm going just as fast as I can? He, he, he had two canes that he used to walk with and he could just barely get around. I think about him in heaven, running around heaven all day, jumping up and down, just like the guy at the beautiful gate. So when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man he used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. All right, Christ, in the case of the man born blind, healed a man who initially had no faith in Jesus as the Messiah. That was interesting because you hear these testimonies. You know, if you had enough faith, brother, you'd be healed. I'm going to give you an example of a guy who wasn't even a believer and he got healed. He's also one of those wonderful stories where Jesus says, I am. Know him. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. So John nine one, as he as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. Jesus, of course. And uh, having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eye. And then he told him, "Go, wash in the pool of Siloam." The word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now drop down to verse 35. Jesus heard they had thrown him out of the synagogue. He couldn't tell them. They kept telling him, who, who made you see? You know, blah, 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 blah. And he says, I don't know. But boy, I know before I was blind. Now I can see. And they asked his parents the same way. We don't know who he was. What are you asking us for? Well, Jesus heard that they had kicked him right out of the church baptist church called it being churched and when he found out him he said do you believe in the son of god and jesus went and found him the son of man as it's written here who is he sir the man asked tell me so that i may believe in him jesus said you now see him in fact he is the one speaking with you the man said lord lord i believe and he worshiped him so the miracles of Jesus's healing, listed in the Gospels to include resuscitations, are many, and I just picked a few examples. But we have them all listed, by the way, uh, on the internet. I think they're on the David put them on the 353. I think he put a note on the face our homepage saying, you know, if you hit this, they'll all appear to you. 353, I think, prophecies of Jesus that are fulfilled. Which, of course, are miracles. But they're there for you. We didn't do it. I didn't do it. David didn't do it. Somebody else did it and we give them credit on the Internet, of course. We give them credit on our website because they are on the Internet and that's where we got them. So healing no old nobleman's son at Cana good old Cana where he made the water into wine best wine ever once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum his hometown very interesting you look at a map we have had several maps recently how he went from the northeastern, western shore over into Galilee Cana when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son. This was a rich guy. His son was close to death. Powerful guy. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child die. He didn't let that direct him in any other direction. He was central posted, boy. He was posted right on the issue. I need a... Healing. Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, a servant met him with the news that his boy was living. Now notice what he did. He let his humanity show forth. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I'm not saying that. When He inquired as to the time when His Son got better, they said to Him, the fever left Him yesterday at the seventh hour. And then, ding! Kind of like you get a message on your phone, you know, ding! Uh, Then the Father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to Him, Your Son will live. So He and His household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed having come from Judea to Galilee. Alright, quickly, heating a lame man at the pool of Bethesda. <laughs> Familiar? And then we'll conclude with where we began. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie to blind the... The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, He asked him, Do you want to get well? I'm sure he said, Damn straight! Sir, the invalid replied, (laughs) I have no no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And that is a problem. Jesus is going to take care of that too. Alright, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we end our lesson. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to come and to see the many miraculous work of our Lord and Savior and how He has indeed done miracle after miracle after miracle. Sometimes we wonder if You really are hearing us or You're really going to do something, Lord, which is absolutely none of our business. But what is our business is to get the Word of God out. So it's my job to let anyone out there who is without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life that there is a solution. And it is, of course, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can tell God the Father and believing on God the Son and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. So I recommend it to you right now. Now Father, I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented tonight, make it real in order that we might grow in Your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior.